title of the message today is The God Who Sees Me. The God Who Sees Me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that your word is not a dry, ancient book of interesting stories, but it's living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it penetrates even to dividing soul from spirit and joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And so, God, we ask that your word would work in us today. It would be powerful, Lord. It wouldn't just be words of man. It would be your words, your living words, words that are spirit and that are life. And I pray that you'd quicken me, Lord, and that you'd touch my lips, that I'd bring forth your word with confidence and in the power of your Holy Spirit, that your people would be made strong in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 16, 5 through 13. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid Hagar into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. And you know that the historical context here is that God had told Abram that he was going to make him a father of many nations that he was going to bring forth from his loins a promised seed, and that he was going to produce not only a nation which would be Israel through the promise, but that there would be a seed that would come from him that would bless all the families of the world. And that seed we know is Christ. Christ is the seed, the promised seed that would bless all nations. And that seed would come through Abram and Sarai when they were old, when they were past the age of childbearing, when it was impossible with men. But in the meantime, in, this, in the waiting period, I don't know, they were six or seven years into waiting, the 20 years they would wait for their, for their miracle child, for the promised child, Isaac. And in the waiting, they got impatient. And don't we do that with God? We get impatient. We say, God, what are you doing? Why is this taking so long? Why am I still in this dry season or this mud season? God, what's taking so long? And so they came up with a plan, a natural plan. And that plan was, well, why don't we take, Sarah wasn't able to bear the child. Why don't we take her maid, her servant, Hagar? She's young. Take her and, and you can, she can become um, a, a, a concubine to Abram. And in, his stead, in her stead, in Sarah's place, Sarai's place, she can bear, bring forth the promise. How many of you know that your fleshly plans can never bring forth the spiritual promises that God wants to do in your life? They can't. And so they thought this is a good idea. And so Hagar went into Abram and Hagar became pregnant. And now Sarai's good idea doesn't seem so sweet anymore. Sarai's sweet idea seems sour now. And it says that Sarai said, this is, this, she was jealous, right? Now she sees this young woman who's bearing the child, who's pregnant with the child. And she says to Abram, I got a problem with you. The Lord judged between you and me. And Abram's probably like, hey, this was your idea, not mine. Verse six says, so Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. Guys, I just want to tell you something. That's not good leadership. But he said to his wife, Sarai, do to her, do to Hagar as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she, or Hagar, fled from her presence. Now, the word 
harshly is from the Hebrew word which means to afflict, to oppress, to humble, or to put down. Sarah was afflicting Hagar. She was oppressing her. She was humbling her. She was putting her down. Have any of you ever been in a situation like that with a, an employer or, or a spouse or somebody over you that isn't treating you right? They're treating you harshly. And it says, Hagar, what did she do? She fled. She said, I'm out of here. I don't like this situation. I'm out of here. Verse 7, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel asked her questions he already knew the answer to. Do you know God does that with us? Jesus did it many times with his disciples. He asked a question, you know, already knows the answer. Why? To get us thinking. Where have you come from? Hagar, where are you going? He's saying, what's your plan, Hagar? What's your plan? When we run from where we are supposed to be, God asks us, where have you come from? Where are you going? And what's your plan? Then he tells us his plan. The angel of the Lord, verse 9, said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. That, that little bump in you, Hagar, I'm going to bless it. I'm going to multiply it into a number, into a nation that can't be multiplied. But I'm telling you my plan for you is to go back, back to Sarai, back to the place where you've been afflicted, back to that place of injustice and harshness and where you're being humbled, where you're being brought low, I'm telling you to go back. Probably not the plan Hagar had in mind. Return and submit to Sarai, who is afflicting her, treating her harshly, putting her down. Why? Because God had a plan to bring incredible fruit out of Hagar's life, but it would come through submission to a perfect God. A perfect God who uses flawed human authority. Sarai, this mother of faith, was treating Hagar, Hagar poorly, but God had a plan to use this abuse. Listen to the profound thing that Joseph learned about his sufferings. Genesis 41, 52. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Fruitful in the land of my affliction. That's counterintuitive. We, we as Christians, we say, I want to run from affliction. I want to run from problem. I want to run from being put down or humbled. This is hard. I want to run like Hagar ran. But Joseph, it says his bow remained in strength. He didn't get bitter in all of his affliction. His bow remained in strength and he became a fruitful bow a bow whose vines reach over the wall and he forgave his brothers and he became the most fruitful among his brothers. He was fruitful in the land of his affliction. God, in perfect providential planning, brings fruit out of our affliction if we will submit to him. Verse 11, and the angel of the Lord said to her, to Hagar, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you will call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. 
God is not an unfeeling God. God does not ignore our affliction. He hears our suffering and our crying, and he will comfort us and strengthen us in our affliction, even when he doesn't remove us from it. Verse 12, he shall be a wild man, Ishmael. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brothers. Literally, it says, he shall live in defiance or opposition to all his brothers. Ishmael was going to be a hard guy to live with, a hard guy to get along with, yet God was still going to bring multitudes of people through him, multitudes who couldn't be counted. And that came out of Hagar's submission, going back to Sarah, back to the plan of God. God has a plan for our lives. Listen, verse 13. Then she called the name of the Lord, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Praise God. Isn't it comforting to know that when we are in our most painful, lonely places in life, he is the God who sees me? Isn't that comforting? He's the God who sees you. He's the God that doesn't ignore you. He's the God that sees your affliction. He sees you. We need to remind ourselves of this truth when our feelings or the enemy tell us God doesn't see us or he's ignoring us. Have you ever had your feelings tell you God doesn't see you? I have. You ever had the enemy tell you God doesn't care? I have. We need to walk by faith and not by sight, not by our feelings, amen? Isaiah 40, verse 27 He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim or my case is passed over by my God? God says, why are you saying this? Why are you saying that your way is hidden from me, that I don't see it, and that your claim is hidden from me? Why are you saying that, Israel? God's saying, I see you. But sometimes we feel like our way is hidden from God. Sometimes we feel like our prayer is ignored by God. Sometimes we feel like he doesn't hear. But he does. Job 23, 9, Job felt this. He said about this about God. When he works on the left hand, I can't behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Sometimes it's hard to believe that he's the God who sees me when we're we're like Job. We can't see him. We're called to to believe in this God we can't see, to trust in this God who who comes to us by his spirit and says, I want you to worship me, learn to worship me in spirit and in truth. Sometimes it's hard. And that's why people love it when you have, you know, that's why there's, you can go and see someone before an icon or a religious idol of some kind of of a saint and you can see them weeping there. Why? Because we want to see something. We want to see our God. God says, no, believe me. Worship me in spirit and truth. That's why when we worship, my friends, we worship in spirit and truth. We don't come into God's house and visualize the face of Jesus. We don't come into God's house and visualize an actor who plays Jesus in a Jesus series and say, that's you, Jesus. I'm, I'm picturing you. I'm looking in your eyes. I'm looking in your face. Oh, Jesus, I worship you. Don't do that. He's spirit, and we worship him in spirit and in truth, not an image. He said, don't make an image before me. 
of me or of anything in heaven or on earth that you bow down and worship and you become sensual. In other words, you're, by, you're acting by your senses to worship something you can see and touch and feel. No, I'm a spirit. And you worship me by my spirit in you, showing you who I am and you adoring me, worshiping me in spirit and in truth. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four says, for he or God has not despised or looked down on nor abhorred or hated the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him or when you cried to God, he heard. God doesn't despise our affliction or hide his face from us when we suffer. Psalm 38, 9 says, Lord, all my desire is before you and my sighing is not hidden from you. God is so tender, even our sighing, our sighing from the heaviness of life, from our trials, it's not hidden from him. He hears even our breathing when it's heavy, when it's labored, when we're going through life, we're just like, God, this is heavy. It says in another place, he takes our tears and he stores them up in his bottle. He cares, he's a tender God. He's a merciful God. But what about when God seems silent and you haven't turned away from him? You've been faithful. I'm not saying perfect, but you've been, you've been following God. You've been loving him. You've been growing. And, and it seems like he's silent. It seems like everything is dark and, and you want to see light. You want to hear his voice. Isaiah 50 verse 10, this goes right along with it. One of the testimonies this morning. When you're in a dry place, when you're in a dark place, it says, who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? We're talking about a faithful servant of God who walks in darkness and has no light. There are seasons where you're going to go through darkness, friends. There are seasons when you're going to go through dryness and wildernesses. And Isaiah says, who is that faithful servant who's going through a tough time, going through the darkness and they have no light? What should they do? Look at what it says. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. The King James says, let him stay upon his God. In other words, don't, don't run away. Don't give up. Don't lose heart in the journey when, when it's dark and it's dry and it feels like God's a million miles away. Stay on your God. Trust in your God. He's faithful. You are in a test in these seasons to stretch and to strengthen your faith. He may seem distant or hidden, but he is right beside you. He is weaning you from walking by your feelings. He's causing you to grow up from being an infant or a babe into manhood, into maturity, into womanhood. He's strengthening you in those dark periods. Stay upon your God. His light will rise upon you. It's not going to stay forever dark. It's not going to stay forever dry. His light will rise. Endure the darkness with the light of your faith. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The darkness will flee. The morning is coming. The sunrise is coming. Hold on to your God. Hold on to your God. Praise God. The Lord, I believe, wants to speak some wonderful, comforting things to us today through his word. But there's also a challenge. There's also a challenge. Psalm 115, 12. 
Listen to this. Does the Lord see you? It says the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. And guess what? We are made one body with the Jews, with Israel. We are blessed by God. He's mindful of us. He sees us. He sees us. He sees you. Isn't that wonderful? God, he's thinking about you. He's not busy like you that he's like, oh man, I got no time for you. I mean, I know what it is to be busy and I know what it is to have friends that are busy that's hard to connect with friends. God's not like that. It's like all he has is time for you, for me. Because he's infinite. He's not restricted or limited by the restraints that we are. He's mindful of us. Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you've done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. He says, your thoughts toward us, they can't be counted. They're like the sand on the seashore. They're like the stars in heaven. God's thoughts toward us, for us, favorable thoughts are more than can be counted. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that awesome? God is mindful of you. He's mindful of me. Glory to God. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. If this verse isn't highlighted in your Bible, it should be. If it's not memorized in your mind, it should be. Listen, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Listen, the word peace is from the Hebrew word shalom. And it means this, listen, this is God's thoughts toward us. Thoughts of peace, thoughts of shalom. It means this, completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. Completeness in number, safety, soundness in body, welfare, health, prosperity, It means peace, quiet, tranquility, contentment. It means peace, friendship of human relationships and friendship with God, especially in covenant relationship. It also means peace from war, peace from conflict or turmoil. Listen, God is the God of peace. He's the God of shalom. And those are his thoughts for us. He has thoughts of peace, not of evil, to bring you a future and a hope. Now, other versions, and we're going to read this from the New American Standard, uh, change the word thoughts into plans. And I love that. I'm going to read it in the New American Standard. It says, God speaking says, for I know, I know the plans that I have for you, that I'm planning for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Some of you have this wrong thought and the enemy's planted this in your mind that if you surrender to God, that God's gonna lead you to disaster. He's gonna lead you to great trouble and trial and and horrible future. No, God says, I know the thoughts that I think. I know the plans that I have for you and they're plans of peace. They're plans of shalom. Not of evil, not of disaster. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't take us through hard times. He does. 
because he's leading us to a destination. He's got a plan. He sees the finished end of the plan. He says, this is where you are. This is where I'm taking you. And there's going to be some bumps in the journey, but I need you to trust me and to take my hand. And I'm going to take you through to the end, to the beautiful finish of the plan. We often get discouraged when we don't see the finished plan in our life right away. We see trouble, we see conflict, we feel sickness in our bodies, we experience the oppression of people sometimes and and the oppression of the enemy. We feel depression pressing in on our mind. And we say, God, is that your plan for me? Listen, a plan is something that reveals the end from the beginning. But there's a process between the finished plan and the completed house. This is our faith journey. From From the time you're saved... God has a plan, and guess what? His plan didn't start when you said yes. His plan was before the foundation of the world. But when you said yes to him and surrendered and were born again, that plan began. And he, has a, he sees the, the end from the beginning, and he has a plan to take us there. I can relate to this because I draw plans. I'm a contractor, and I've drawn plans for houses, and I've drawn plans for additions, and I've hired architects to work for me and draw plans. And we flush through the plans, and we say, is this a good layout for the kitchen? Is this a good flow? Is this good to have the cabinets here, the doorways here? Does this, does this work good? Is this going to work, or does it just look good, but it's not going to function well? I know how to plan a house, but God is the builder of all things, and his plan is better than any human plan has ever been. And he has a blueprint. He has a plan for our lives individually and our lives corporately as a body. Praise God. Listen, Psalm 66, 12 of the ESV says, you let men or made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. We say, what? What? God, I just want you to bring me to the place of abundance. Bring me to the finished end of the plan. But God says, I'm bringing you through fire and water and difficulty to bring you to this beautiful end. But I'm with you. I'm with you. Fear not. Fear not. God has written a glorious story for each of our lives. He has printed a detailed plan and the finished product is beautiful and it's perfect. Listen. But his plan includes demolition as well as construction. It includes demolition of the old, removing the ugly. It includes demolition of the old crumbling structure, the old man, the old first Adam. Our old flesh can't inherit the new glory. It must die. Every trial, every affliction from men, every fire and drowning flood has a specific purpose to strip away the old you and bring in the new man, Christ. To strip away the old you and bring you into his plan of shalom, of peace. All these afflictions are key to his sovereign plan to bring us into our future of peace and hope. That's why, that's why when the angel said to, to Hagar, I, I know, I know. You think he didn't know that Sarah was mistreating Hagar? Oh, he knew. That was part of his plan. And don't you think that, 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 that God could rebuke Sarah and say, hey, you're taking this a little too far. Ease up on Hagar. Take it easy. I got a plan for her life too. 
Listen, but God brings us through fire and water to bring us into abundance. What do trials do? They cause the sheep to cry out to the shepherd. They draw the wayward sheep back to the master. That's what trials do. God, why are you allowing this? Because I want you to come to me. I want to draw you close to myself and I want to put you back into my plan for your life. Ephesians 2.14 says this, for he himself is our peace. It's Jesus. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our shalom. Glory to God. He himself is our peace. Not a good situation, not good circumstances. A person, Jesus Christ, he is your peace. The God who sees you is your peace. So Hagar could go back to a difficult situation and trust God sees me. God sees the life in me and God's going to bring it out into abundance. Praise God. Because of this, we have peace in the journey when the sun is shining and when the storm is raging because he's our peace, not our circumstances. So how do we find his peace in our life? Isaiah 48, 18. It says, this is God speaking to Israel. He says, oh, that you had heeded or listened to my commandments or my words. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness as the waves of the sea. We want peace like a river, but are we willing to listen to what he says? He says, the, the fruit of you listening to what I say is peace like a river. There, uh, we're going to turn to John 15. John 15, 14. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now understand, when that sounds like God's, Jesus is saying, I'm bringing you into a list of rules. Jesus is saying, you're my friends if you do whatever I say to you. If you hear my voice and walk in obedience by faith, you're my, you're my friends. He says in verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Listen, this was a transition for Jesus' disciples from mere servants to friends. Jesus was bringing them into deeper intimacy with himself, into a place of hearing all things from his father into a place of greater disclosure of what Jesus was doing, what the Father was doing. He brought his friends into what? Seeing the plans of God. He says a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but a friend, he's brought in to the know. He's brought in to seeing the plans. As a contractor, when I show up on the job site, sometimes I'll bring the plan with me to go over with the client or to go over with a a lead carpenter or my foreman. And there, there are some employees that I don't show the plan to. If I go on the job site and there's four guys working, I don't go around and say, hey guys, let's all look at the plan. Typically, I don't do that. Typically, I show the lead guy, the lead carpenter, what the plans are. And I go over that with the client and we, we follow that plan to build according to the plan. Some of these employees, like I said, they're just working. You just work. The guy, he'll tell you what's on the plan. You just work. They're like a servant, right? They're just a, they're, they're a learning carpenter. But the ones who've grown in experience, the ones who've been faithful, they come up to look at the plans. 
That's what it's like with Jesus Christ. He says, I, you're not just my servant anymore. I'm bringing you up. I'm bringing you closer. I'm bringing you into my plans. I'm going to show you what I'm doing. He says, I'll do that because you do what I say to do. You've come into a place of greater faithfulness. You're not just a slave in the house. You've come to become my friend. Listen. We don't become God's friends by increased knowledge, just by reading more of the Bible. I love it when people tell me they're reading more of the Bible. Do that. Praise God. Study it to show yourself approved. Get the word of God in you. The spirit of God now is going to work and put fire in you through your study of the word. But it's possible to read the word and just be collecting intellectual knowledge and not growing in your faith. And God says, look, read what I say and then do it. Do it by my spirit and I will strengthen you and I'll give you more. Listen, do you remember? Do you remember the servant in the Old Testament who who chose to have his ear opened with an awl on the wooden doorpost? Exodus 21.2. God said, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. This was not lifetime slavery. This was to pull people out of poverty, give them a job and take care of them. I'm not justifying slavery in the Old Testament, but it's not as ugly and dark as the world would say. Oh, the Bible says slavery was okay. Listen, slavery was part of the system. It doesn't mean that God said it's okay, but God's type of slavery always had an open door for freedom. If you bought a servant, brought him out of poverty because he was going to starve to death, now he comes and he works for you. He's in your house. You're a good master. At the end of the sixth year, he goes out free. He goes out free. There's freedom in God's plan. There's always freedom in God's plan. Listen, verse five, it says, but if the servant plainly says when he's, when he's given this option to go out, to leave and to get his freedom, it says, if the servant says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges and shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. This servant, listen, chose to be a lifelong servant of the master he grew to love. Why? Because that master was loving toward him. This is a picture of God. This is a picture of you serve God and you have a slavish mindset and then you come into the kingdom after you've been born again and after you've walked with God and you realize, look, God is a God of grace. He's a God of goodness. I want to give him more. I want to surrender everything. You say, Jesus, take my ear and put put the spike through it. Open my ear. And it says that he would become a lifelong servant. But I want to tell you something. This is not the kind of servant that now this servant goes and becomes, here, here's some more rules on you. Here's some more bonds on you. Here's some more restrictions and tasks on you. No, I believe that, God, that that man takes that servant who's a lifelong servant and he makes him like a son. You see, he makes, him, he makes him a friend. He says, I got more responsibility for you. Here's the plan. Let's look at the plan together. He brings him up. He elevates him. See, that's what God wants to do with his children. He wants to bring us from a slavish mindset, from a serving God like he's a hard taskmaster, to understanding this God, his great heart of grace and mercy and kindness and goodness toward me, his plans of shalom for me. Lord, I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to go back to the world. I'm yours forever. I'm surrendering everything to you. Hallelujah. Psalms 116, 16 
Beautiful verse, it says, O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. What does God do with people who surrender more? He looses their bonds. He stoops down and he says, let me take that off of you. God's not a God who who puts bonds on people and chains on people. He's a God that breaks the chains. He's a God that looses the bonds. Hallelujah. Praise God. We come into, into a deeper place of him removing our bonds and bringing us in to his plans. Many believers stay in the bondage to sin longer than they need to. And they fall short of his plans for peace because they're unwilling to fully follow the Lord. They're like, no, you know, I kind of want that, that, what the world has to offer me. I kind of I want that. And they have a divided heart. And they don't enter into that friendship with Christ. They don't enter into that place where he looses their bonds. 1 Samuel 7, 2 through 4. The ark had been taken into Philistine captivity for like seven months and it was returned to Israel. God had raised up a speaking prophet in Samuel, a child. But the ark was taken away into captivity and then the ark came back to Israel and it stayed in Kiriath-Jerim but it wasn't in Jerusalem where it should be. The ark, we talked about this earlier, represents the presence and the glory of God. So the ark had come back And Samuel, then it jumps ahead in in 1 Samuel 7. It goes from Samuel being a child and Eli's ministry being judged and Samuel being raised up in the word of God, coming back and people hearing God again. We go from that, we jump forward like 20 years. Samuel was judging Israel for 20 years. And it jumps ahead to this passage here. And it says in verse 2, so it was that the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time. It was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. It also means they longed for the Lord. You see, Israel was in a place where they were still in bondage. They were still subject to the Philistines. The Philistines were still their master. They had the speaking word of God through the prophet Samuel. The, the glory of God had returned to Israel, but it wasn't in its proper place. So they were, hearing the God, they were hearing God's voice, but they were still in bondage. My friend, this is like a Christian, a believer, being in a fellowship, a church, where God's word is coming forth. God's word is speaking. It's challenging. It's there to set them free. But they're still in bondage. The Philistines are still over them. But in the midst of that period, your heart begins to long for God and say, God, there's got to be more in you. There's got to be a place of freedom in you. There's got to be a place where I'm not bound to this addiction that keeps coming and knocking on my door every two weeks. There's got to be a place of freedom. It says their hearts lamented or they began to long for God. They had the speaking prophet. They had Samuel there to judge and to help them. But they weren't free. They weren't free and God's glory was not where it was supposed to be in their lives. Listen, verse 3 Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel saying, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisks from among you. That means the idols, the idols that they bowed to, the idols of their hearts, and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you, what? From the hand of the Philistines. 
If you will serve the Lord with sincerity and put away the other idols, the other loves that I I am jealous of, if you'll put those things away, I will defeat your enemies. You come out of this 20-year period where you're hearing the word of God and it's great and it's wonderful, but you're not free. God wants us free. Amen? God wants his people free. So he said, look, if you're really serious, if you're going to follow the Lord, then you need to do it with all your heart. And you need to put away every other false God. And then God will subdue your enemies. So the children of Israel, verse 4, put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, and they serve the Lord only. Glory to God. Verse, 1 Samuel 7, 9 through 10. I'm just going to jump ahead here. The Philistines heard that they were gathered together, that Israel was gathered together to worship, and they came together for war. Whenever you make a decision, I'm going all in with God. God, take the all and put it through my ear. I'll be your servant because I know you're a God of love. The enemy will rise up against you. He will. He'll muster his forces. And that's what happened. The enemy came together. And it says, Samuel took a suckling lamb, that means a very young lamb, and he offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. This is a type of Christ and his sacrifice at the cross. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Verse 10, now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. Listen, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Aren't you ready for God to thunder against your enemies? Aren't you ready for to see the real power of God against your enemies? They saw it. They experienced it. And it says they were confused and they were overcome. Verse 13, listen to this. So the Philistines were subdued. That means they were beaten. They were put into a place from being over the Israelites and ruling them to being put under the Israelites, being under their feet. That's where God wants our enemies. And it says, so the Philistines were subdued, verse 13, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. Glory to God. Can you imagine if that temptation, that sin bondage that you've struggled with for years is overcome, the Lord thunders against it through his cross, through you yielding to him, he thunders against it, it's subdued, and it doesn't even come around anymore. There's no knocking at your door after two weeks or, or three weeks of victory. You have victory because Christ has thundered against your enemies. Praise God. This is not fiction, people. This is reality. This is what Jesus died for. Praise God. Hallelujah. Psalm 81, 8 through 16. This is just a parallel passage. I'm telling you, the hand of the Lord was so strong on me to bring you these verses today. So clear. Psalm 81, 8. Hear my people and I will admonish you. Israel, if you would listen to me, There shall be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship a foreign God. You can't love Jesus and the world. That's what he's saying. You can't have other loves. Listen to this. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and fill it. He's saying, I got so much more for you. I got shalom ready to pour into you, pour over you. I got so much to give you. But verse 11 says, but my people did not listen to my voice. 
and Israel did not obey me. They refused to listen to his voice and follow his plans for their life. Look at what it says in verse 12. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own plans. That's what the New American Standard says, or to walk in their own devices. Listen, we talked about the plans of God for our lives. There are two sets of plans for your life. Listen to me. There are two sets of plans for your life. Your own plans and God's plan. The devil tells you, you can draw your own plans, but he is the real architect. When you go down that path, when you say, I can draw my own plans, the devil says, you can do this. It'll be wonderful. Take your own path. You forge your own way. Do you say it like, like the old singer of old said, I did it my way. Was that Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. Well, you can do it your way, but you're really doing it the devil's way. And let me tell you something. The devil's plans, the devil is not a builder. He's a destroyer. He will never build things that last. He may build temporary structures, but they are houses of cards. You take your pathway, your plan, it will be a house of cards, and it will fall. God has plans for your life. I found this on the web. I guess she found that on the web. My, 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 my watch is talking to me in case you didn't hear that. She said, I found this on the web. Well, guess what? Shut up, Siri. (laughs) Listen. I believe that God is raising up young people in this generation who have nothing to offer to God but a heart fully surrendered to his plans. And I believe it's not limited to just the younger generation. I believe it's everybody who has breath in their lungs. You can be 90 years old in this place, Dick. God has plans for you. It says they shall still bear fruit in old age. God has plans. I believe there is a a generation that God is raising up, but it's not because of their talents. In fact, they're probably the the most under, they just have nothing to offer. They've been messed up. They've been, their minds have been corrupted by social media. They, They can't concentrate, but guess what? God says, you just come to me, offer your nothing, fully surrender, and I'll raise you up to be mighty for me. Glory to God. It's not what they have to offer. It's them giving up. It's them surrendering. That's what God is saying. That's the people God will use. Hallelujah. Listen, this is what he said in verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways, my plans. Verse 14, I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. When we surrender to God and listen to his voice again, he will quickly subdue our enemies. We don't have to stay in bondage for 20 years to the Philistines. We can be freed now. Do you hear that? It it doesn't, the enemy says, oh, it's just always gonna be this way. You've struggled with this for so long. You hear the word of God, you agree with it, you praise God, you repent, but it's always gonna be this way. No! He said, if you would listen to me, I would quickly subdue your enemies. Not next year, not 20 years from now. Today, I will quickly fight against your enemies because I will become their enemy. Praise God. Verse 16 says, for I would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. That's God's plan. Listen, God says, I want to give you the finest of the wheat I want to give you the best of the best. I want to give you honey from the rock, not just water, honey. 
That's God's plan to lead us into his shalom. He is waiting to pour his blessings over us and in us through Jesus. Listen, this is comforting. He is the God who sees you. He sees you. He sees your wanderings and he's coming to lead you back to his plans, back to his shalom. God doesn't see a sheep wander and say, oh, I'm so disgusted with them. He says, I am the good shepherd. I go after my sheep to bring them back into the fold, back into my plan. Praise God. I'm gonna read a few verses in closing from Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. God says, I'm gonna search for my sheep. I will feed them, verse 14, in good pasture. And their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15, I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down. You know when sheep lie down? You know they say that sheep are always, you know what they, they say sheep are stupid? And you know, they say, you know what they say when they're stupid? When they're afraid. Sheep are stupid when they're afraid, especially stupid. And you know when they say they're afraid? All the time. <laughs> but we have a shepherd that makes us lie down. He takes away our fear. He takes away our stupidity. He loves us and he comes after us and he makes us lie down. Glory to God. Verse 25 to 27, I will make a covenant of peace, shalom with them. And I will cause the wild beasts to cease from the land those enemies, and they will dwell, what, safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods in a place that was formerly dangerous. They're gonna have so much peace, they're gonna fall asleep in the woods. Verse 26, I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season, and there shall be showers of blessing. Verse 27, then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, it says, God, the Father is glorified when you bear much fruit for him. God's gonna bring forth fruit out of his people and they shall be safe in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have, listened, broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those that enslaved them. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Jason, would you come up? God wants to pour out his peace on his people. The Bible says there is no peace, saith my God, for the wicked. We can't, we can't be partly in with God and partly in with our idols. God sang to his sheep. He's saying it's, it's long enough. It's been 20 years. It's been however long that you've been in subjection to the enemies in your life. And I want to lead you back into my plan back into my fold and I will wash you and I will cleanse you and I will shout victory over your life. I will shout triumph and, and violence against the enemy if you will yield, if you will listen to my voice. Jesus said, if you do whatever I command, I'm taking you from servant to friend. I'm showing you the plans. I'm bringing you back into the plans for your life. For I know the plans that I think toward you, says the Lord, plans of peace, and prosperity and not of evil, not of calamity. That's God's heart. That's God's heart for us. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we praise you and we thank you today that you're a God who has a beautiful plan for our life. And Lord, sometimes we get off that plan, Lord. We, we don't like the plan. It's leading us to places we don't want to go. And you say, no, go back. Go back to where I called you. Go back to this place and submit. Trust me. And I'll lead you in. I'll lead you out. I'll lead you by my peace. Father, I pray for your sheep in this house today, God. I pray that you would work in our hearts, your comfort, the peace that comes when we listen to your voice, when we accept and yield to your plan for our lives. Father, I thank you that you're drawing your people into a place of great peace, a, a place where, Lord, we can lie down, where we're not dumb anymore, we're not stupid, our hearts are settled and calm, we're not running from you, resisting you, going our own way, where our enemies are defeated and we can lie down and sleep in the woods, God, we can sleep wherever you say it's time to rest. I just want to open this altar for you to come and pray. If you want to come and pray and ask God just to bring you back into his plan. Just to bring you back into his fold. He's not mad at you. He's not, he's not raging at you. He's not upset with you. He's saying, if you really will follow me, if you'll submit, if you'll yield to me, if you'll trust me, I'm going to keep speaking to you. If you're in darkness and you have no light and you're faithful, just keep trusting God. Just keep trusting him. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, we praise you. We thank you that you're the God of breakthrough. You're the God that thunders against our enemies, Lord. Some of you here today that resonated with you that 20 years, you have the speaking voice, but you're not, you're still in subjection and you want to be free. You want to be free. The answer is simple. It's not counseling. It's not psychology. It's in the cross. It's in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in surrendering and saying, God, I will follow you all the way. I will follow you all the way. I believe you're a God of love and goodness. I will, I will put away all the other gods. I will put away all the other idols and serve you alone. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.